Affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from James 2, 14 through 18, 22, and 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, Keep calm and warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I, by my works, will show you my faith. You see, that faith was active along with his works. And faith was brought to completion by the works. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. This is God's word to all people.
Well, all right, so we're dealing with our 50th anniversary, and uh, it was great to have the, the bishop here to talk, and um, as I said last week, I, I was starting to think about, well, what do you preach about when you're starting a 50th anniversary celebration, you know? And, and it, it struck me that, that two things were foundational to our faith and to who we are as a church, and that maybe um, we ought to remind ourselves of, of this as the, as the foundation upon which we stand as we then go and celebrate our prior 50 years and our future 50 years. And they're really very simple notions, but I wanted to remind us of them so that we would um, anchor ourselves in them. And the first was grace, and that is that everything is grounded in grace. Our success of the past, our promise of the future, all of that, all of that has to do with God's grace. Okay, so we're going to have the visiting of the ambulance, but we're all right, so we'll continue on. God's extension to us of grace is uh, foundational. Many of us are here because of the power of God's grace in our lives. I like to think that what has distinguished us over the past 50 years is not the buildings that have been built, the, the great fund of having a Volkswagen pull the old church down the road here. Have you seen that photo? What's distinguished us is that people have come into this place and have been touched by God's grace. They've awakened to God, they've nurtured a relationship with God that has meant the world to them. They have gone on and grown into a particular kind of person that they are through God's grace. It's all about grace, this church business. If you're having meetings, if you're having programs, if you're doing stuff at church that's got you all very busy, if you're in a tizzy over it, if it's not grounded in grace, its foundation is wrong, and we need to get it back onto grace. Now, the second obvious notion, which I'm going to spend some time talking about today, is that it's all expressed in love. Grace made real in the living of love. And like I said, it's important, and God knows I've spent tens of thousands of dollars to be theologically educated, and those doctrines and all those things are important to try to get right, but you know, really, that doesn't matter all that much, as does the expression of love to one another. Our right thinking, well, yeah, it's important to kind of get our heads straight in our theological thinking. But if we think we've got our heads straight and we're nasty towards one another, if we think that God is leading us to hate somebody, then we've got it wrong. We don't have it 
the way Jesus would have us have it. It's all about grace, and it's all expressed in love. So, I'm anchoring our thoughts this morning on uh, things that Jesus has said and done, helping to remind us that what I'm saying is not just uh, dilled stuff, but it comes out of Scripture that I think it's anchored in Jesus' thought for us, what Jesus is for us, and also in what we think is his brother's words about the expression of love. So when you think about Jesus and you think about his teachings, his actions, what Jesus did, does it strike you that it's a stretch for me to say that it was about love? Or does that seem to be self-evident? So I don't want to insult any lawyers among us here, but a lawyer did come up to Jesus and in that kind of wily way that lawyers had, tried to get Jesus to get into one of those spots, right? Who is this whippersnapper rabbi that's talking about all this stuff? And so the lawyer said, well, come on, tell me then, smarty pants. Tell me, what's the biggest commandment? What's the main commandment? What's the greatest commandment? So now, Jesus thought for a bit, and I suppose that rule about not wearing mixed fabrics crossed his mind, and he thought, no, 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 that's, that's not it. I don't, I don't think that's it. And, and, I, and I think maybe the thought about how you have to rotate the crops, and you can't have one crop after another crop, and you can't have one crop next to another crop crossed his mind. Uh, no, that was, I got it, he said. Love God and neighbor. Love God and neighbor. Sums it up. It's all there. Love God and neighbor. When we go to the parables, when we think about what Jesus taught through those stories, we see stories of helping. We hear stories of healing. The story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story about how we ought to walk by people who are different from us, who have had a bad go of it, and say, tough luck, and move along. No, it's not, is it? Actually, the main character, the Samaritan, is the person that we Jews knew we're crummy folk. Yet Jesus in his story has the one who all by rights should not be caring for a Jew in distress, be the person that acts neighborly. Jesus' stories are all about love, all about extending mercy. The prodigal son is a dramatic story because the father by all rights should have seen the son coming, turned his back and sent his servants out to his son, telling his son to turn around. Don't be coming home. You have no home here. That's what the hearers of the prodigal son parable expected to happen in that story because that was the social custom. 
Yet Jesus is talking about God's love towards us even when we go so far afield to be like that prodigal son. God's experience of grace expressed through acts of love and mercy. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? What did Jesus say to the woman accused of adultery? What did Jesus say to that guy hanging on the cross next to him on that good Friday? Words of love. Words of compassion and mercy. Jesus' spirit was one of love laced with mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. James speaks more specifically to the issue at hand, though, and he pushes back at the people that I would call spiritualizers. Jesus' movement sought to have believers adhere to Jesus as the Christ, to be reconciled to God through Christ, not through the Torah. And they spent centuries figuring out the theology to back that up as to how a trinity could actually exist that would have Jesus in this role. Yet for James, for James, Salvation was a, a physical thing, not just a, a spiritual salvation. For James, it was a living out of the faith in a physical way, not just adhering to the faith in a spiritual way. James states it straight out, the importance of works as enlivening faith. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. What more of a direct statement can be made than that? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. So as the movement got going, and as there was this looking towards Jesus as the way by which, through which, we would be reconciled to God, apparently there was a good number of people who were going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and then sitting back down on their haunches and thinking that that was enough. And Jesus' brother is saying, I like the fact you're doing that. That's a good thing, but you need to be doing something with that. You see that this faith that was so important in the early church movement was active in the expression through works and faith was brought to completion through works 
I think this is why Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill the law. Discipleship in Jesus leads to faith in action. Grace made real in love. And I think this is the heritage of our first 50 years and the, and the promise of our future. The fact that the grace that we all have experienced over the years leads us into making a difference in people's lives and in the lives of the community because we do not just experience it for our own pleasure, but we experience it to give it expression to our neighbors. So I think we see this in a couple of ways. One is our, our love towards self, another is our love to our neighbors, another is our, our love as it's given expression in the more general society that we live in. And it strikes me as unusual, but I know that it is true that loving oneself in a healthy way, which seems to be the simplest of all things, maybe is one of the most hardest of things to do. We either overinflate our self-worth with some kind of, you know, bogus stride that's got us thinking we're an atlas of the world, or we undervalue our self-worth and walk around self-deprecating ourselves. And neither of those ways is what God wants for us. God is looking for a healthy sense of self for ourselves, and I think that comes from a right relationship with God through Christ Jesus realizing what it's like really to be a child of God and not to pretend to be God, but not to sense that we're the worms of existence. A healed child of God on the pathway to life abundant. Finding yourself accepted and loved and encouraged to grow in a healthy way. I think that's what we've been about for 50 years. People walking in this door, hungering, maybe for something that they're not even aware of. Getting right with God, getting right with themselves, becoming healthy as a child of God. Second, I think, is extending love towards neighbor. I came across a a fun meme this week that I want to share with you. It's about um, a loving couple from Netherlands in the 1800s. Um, apparently, they fell in love with each other when they were 20, madly in love with each other, and they lived together in the Netherlands for like 60 years of marriage. Then, then uh, husband died, and then wife died. And when it turns out in the 1800s in the Netherlands is that husband, who was a Protestant, could not be buried in wife's graveyard, who was a Roman Catholic. 
So even in the 1800s, we Christians were trying to learn how to love one another and still didn't quite have it right yet, huh? Separate graveyards, not quite the same kind of people. So they figured something out. And the husband died, and he got buried in the Protestant graveyard right up against the wall, his tombstone. And when the wife died, she got buried in the Roman Catholic graveyard right up against the wall. It was her tombstone. And the tombstones raised up above the wall. And between the two tombstones, the mason had created outstretched arms touching one another. Isn't that sweet? Love wins, huh? Express your faith and love. But, you know, the truth of it is we all know that it is harder to get along with your spouse before you die than after you die. <laughs> and as sweet as that little image was, it kind of belies the truth of the hard work that happens on the other side of the <coughs> tombstone. For all the challenges that are a part of intimate relationships, uh, we know that we have a better chance of those being good relationships, healthy relationships, if they are grounded in grace and they find ways to be expressing love. And sometimes it's not easy when the toothpaste is not where it should be and you've talked about it time and time again, or whatever might be the example, I'm not sure. <laughs> Sometimes it takes will, doesn't it? Sometimes it's more than just a matter of the heart. It's a matter of deciding that I will make this work. A parishioner came and uh, came up to me at one of my prior churches and uh, wanted to take me to lunch. Um, I love a free lunch, and so I went, and, and uh, he said, you know, Walt, um, it's really all about love. And I said, yeah, I know, I got that, I got that. Don't you hear me saying that every Sunday? It's about love. And he goes, well... And then he launched into his story. He wanted to tell me his story is what he wanted to do. And uh, he had been abused as a kid. And somehow his dad and his dad's abuse of him had uh, hurt his eyes. I, I can't believe this is true, but I remember it being some kind of spicy dish at dinner and dad just having enough and jamming his son's face into the food with the eyes open and that kind of scarring the... The, the eyes, I, I, I can't believe that that's true, that that happened, but that's the memory I have of the story of what he was telling. Something just really, an example of uh, terrible fathering. It took this guy a long time to work through the anger, justifiable anger, that he had to his father Yet when I showed up at church, he would invite his father to church now and again and had to reestablish some kind of relationship, not because of the father's repentance, but because of this guy's ability to move through 
the pain. Through God's grace, through, I think, a little bit of will on his own part that he was going to be different than his dad. He was going to be a person that learned how to love and would love other people and finally got to the place where he was even to trying to trying to ex extend a little bit of that feeling to this aging dad. Grace expressed in love. Sometimes it is hard, yet always we are called to be doing it. And we extend love in a larger, perhaps seen as less specific way into the larger society. I want you to remember that John Wesley is famously remembered as saying, the world is my parish. Uh, I think he ended up saying that because he was kicked out of the Anglican church. And, and so he was preaching in the mines. He was preaching in the farm fields. He was preaching on the city corners. His parish indeed had become all of that that was outside the campus of the church. But it put in motion an attitude in us Methodists that we think our love has something to do with things beyond campus, things beyond our personal well-being or our interpersonal well-beings. Wesley worked with the poor in the cities of London while he also sought fairer treatment from the business owners that employed those poor people. And Wesley dealt with the alcoholic epidemic that was a part of London in those days. And he worked trying to break the cycle of drunkenness in families and in neighborhoods, restricting the availability of alcohol. We're, we are a teetotaling denomination in theory because of this. Because Wesley saw lives being destroyed by alcohol. Wesley was against slavery and he made it known. He was for public education and he made it known. When I think back about our history, I, I have a, a desire to go back to 1971 and remember how uh, you all started a thing called Covenant House with the uh, Lutheran, the new Lutheran congregation that was trying to get a foothold and grow in this Thousand Oaks, Westlake Village area. Now, I don't know how many of you were around then and remember any conversations about that. It might have just been framed in building usage, smart business kind of stuff. But really, it's remarkable for being more than that. And you may not be aware, but um, that Lutheran pastor did not have the right to serve you communion. It was against the ecclesiastical rules 
of the Lutheran Church and the Methodist Church, you know, we, we clergy spend time in special conventions trying to figure out how we can really uh, relate to one another. Uh, these ecclesiastical documents get passed or get voted down, and until they're passed, you're not supposed to get communion from uh, a Lutheran or, or the Lutherans from a Methodist. God knows Jesuits are never allowed to serve communion to any of us. But I've had communion from a Jesuit because he knew what was really going on with Jesus and grace and love. And you all got communion from some Lutheran pastors. And our pastors gave communion to some Lutherans. And I really think that's a big deal. That should not be minimized. The, the banner that you had on the wall here, we found it. We're going to put it up again. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. You wanted to make that true. You wanted to say something to this community that there was a power in the love that came from God that crossed denominational barriers. You wanted to join hands with Lutherans to make this a better community. Expressing faith in action. And then somebody had the crazy idea that that banner, which thanks to Isaiah, one of the great Old Testament prophets, the language on that banner, might actually be taken to mean what it said. And you invited Temple Adad Elohim to be a part of the campus family, to be a part of Covenant House. 1972. A little over, what, 25 years from when Jews were being exterminated in mass. You all decided that you could be the kind of people that would love across that barrier. That you would be the kind of Christians that would make a witness to the power of grace, grace expressed through acts of love, and you would leap over the boundary of Old Testament, New Testament. I don't know how many of you thought that was a big deal. I look back on it now and I say, that was a big deal. You were saying something really important to this community about the kind of people you wanted to be. We're going to celebrate Covenant House uh, in two places in particular over this celebration. And I think it's three weeks. We're going to have the Lutherans with us. We're going to have a joint worship. They're going to join the choir and be in the congregation, and Craig's going to be up here with me. We'll see if we can find something to say of value to you. We're going to have fun. We're going to remember Covenant House. And then in, I think it's March, next spring, we're going to have an event with Temple Adat Elohim. We're going to remember how we were in Covenant as family, in ministry together, and we are going to covenant again, friends, to be in ministry together.
for our community. Because we know that acts of love are ways by which we make real our faith. Amen.